Welcome to the Newport Church Sermon of the Week podcast. Newport Church is a non-denominational, spirit-filled church, part of the Dove International Apostolic Network of Churches and Ministries. We are located between Mannheim and Lidditz in northern Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We look forward to seeing you. And now, here is today's message. Amen. 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 Good morning. Hallelujah. Get set up here. It's good to see everybody. Awesome to be here with you this morning and to serve the Lord with you. Wasn't that an awesome worship time? How many of you love the Lord this morning? Amen. Yeah, awesome. Praise God. My name is Merle Shank. For those of you who don't know me, lead pastor here at Newport Church. And welcome to everybody who's online. Uh, look forward to seeing you uh, here soon as well. We are in the second message of our series here about encountering God in worship. And so um, Matt did a great job preaching about relationships, the three core relationships that every person needs to have in their life last week. Didn't he do a good job? Yeah, he did. Yeah. So, uh, and we're going to jump back into our series here about encountering God in worship. We're going to teach the what the Bible says about worship here this morning. So I want to give a little bit of a recap here. The number one, the miraculous Christian life is the what? The normal Christian life, right? You have an advantage because you walk with God. He's the one who knows how things work. (laughs) He knows who you are. He knows how you work. And he knows why you exist on the earth. And so when you walk with him in relationship, you have the God advantage. Tell your neighbors, say, the God advantage. Yeah. Are you guys awake this morning? All right. You got to preach with me here this morning. All right. So the the miraculous Christian life is the normal Christian life. Last time, uh, two Sundays ago, we went over the furniture of the tabernacle in the Old Covenant and how it was set up and kind of the journey of worship into the presence of the Lord that the Old Testament uh, reveals to us that the children of Israel did as they walked with God. And it's an, um, we said that there was an expectation from them to meet with God in tangible ways. Like we, uh, they saw the, the pillar of fire, they saw the cloud by day, the fire by night, right? And they, they were expectant to meet with God in tangible ways, even under a lesser covenant. Even under a lesser covenant, right? And so then we talked about music and music in Christianity and how Christianity is grounded in a very rich history of music in Scripture, And we went through, you know, we talked about David and how he set up the tabernacle of David and that there was 4,000 people who were commissioned to sing and play instruments, 4,000. And we said, that's a really big worship team, right? And there was 288 skilled musicians that that would lead it. That's like your worship leaders, right? So that's a really large worship team. Remember that? And so the, why, why are we going into all of this? The reason why we're going into all of this is to really walk through the, the Bible and the scripture and see what it is that we are aiming our faith for in worship and in praise. And why do we do what we do? here on a Sunday morning? Why do churches do what they do when it comes to music and it comes to praise and worship? And so 
really, you know, what, what are we aiming our faith at in worship as we go through uh, this desire to grow in God? And I believe it's God's desire to encounter us. Uh, how many of you love to encounter the Lord? and you have a desire to encounter the Lord. Do you know that God's in, God desires to encounter us even more than we desire to encounter him? Like that is his heart, to encounter us, that we would have an encounter with him. So our desire here is as we walk through this, that we grow in our understanding of why we worship the way we do. We grow in our intimacy in worshiping the Lord, and we grow in our understanding and practice of spontaneous and prophetic worship. Acts chapter 15, verses 12 and 17, we're gonna start there, uh, is, that's where we left off uh, last time. And it says, then all the multitude kept silent. So this is when, just to give you a little bit of a backstory here, this is when the Gentiles started coming and giving their lives to the Lord. The Gentiles started responding to the faith. And, and up until this point, everyone who was believing in Jesus were followers of Jesus. They were, they were Jews. That was their background. They were all Jews. And now all of a sudden, people who weren't Jews were coming to the Lord, getting filled with the same Holy Spirit that they did on Acts chapter 2. They got filled with the same Holy Spirit and started to speak in tongues and prophesy and do all the things that, they, that the Jews were doing who were followers of Jesus who were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so all the, all the Jews at that point, you know, before this, they were like, well, Jesus is the Messiah to the Jewish people. And now all of a sudden, God breaks out of their box and people who were not Jews are starting to believe on Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so they had to have a council to say, what are we gonna do? What, how do we treat these people? Do we make them become Jews first? Do we make them become, that was called a proselyte? Do we make them become proselytes first? And then followers of Jesus, they don't have the history that we have. They don't have the background that we have. They don't have all the, the old covenant teachings that we've had. They haven't had the, the laws of Moses that, they, that, they, that uh, the Jews grew up understanding. And so they had this council, and it's recorded here in Acts chapter 15. And this is where we're going to pick it up. And it says, and then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. The Gentiles were the non-Jews, right? Verse 13. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the, verse, at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And, this, and with this, the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, after this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all of these things. So in the activity of the tabernacle of David, it, as that activity is being restored by God, by the Holy Spirit, this wasn't something, you know, this wasn't a vision of Peter. This wasn't a vision of the apostles. This was something that God was doing and, and the apostles were just catching up. Like, hey, God's doing something. What, what, what is this? Where do we find this in scripture? What do, we, what do we do in response to this, right? And many times that's how God works is he doesn't tell us what he's going to do beforehand. He just does it. 
Why? Because he's God and he can, right? <laughs> and we are his followers. He is not our followers. Amen? So he just does it, and we sometimes get to get on board. And, and of course, you know, there's prophecy and there's understanding, but that's why, you know, most of the scripture is actually prophetic, and it helps us understand the heart and the ways of God. So in the tabernacle of David, as this is being restored, we see in verse 17 that the purpose of it being restored, the purpose of the tabernacle of David, the activity of the tabernacle of David being restored is specifically so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Then it specifically mentions Gentiles that are called by my name, by God's name. That's you and me. Unless you're Jewish, then yeah, that's still you, okay? But you're, you're just not a Gentile. You're called by his name, but not a Gentile. So that's me. I don't know. I'm, I think my, we did, one, we did one of those ancestry.com things, you know, that's not a promotion for them, by the way. You know, just, uh, and I think but it's German, Swiss, and British, and something else in there. Shri has 3% Italian, and she, she banks on that 3% Italian, man. She's like, this is my Italian coming out. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> All right. You know, so, so and, and listen, we, this is how God ruled in the ancient world. This is how God ruled in the time of Israel, through the tabernacle of David. God ruled the known world through David. During David's reign in Israel, Israel was the center of the known biblical world. It was the, it was the, the political center. Jerusalem was the political center of Israel. It was the, the center of influence between Israel and Judah was Jerusalem, okay? Then the, the influential center of Jerusalem was David and his palace. He was the ruler. He was the king. And the influential center of David's life was the tabernacle and his relationship with God. And so we see that as David, the king, submitted to God... He was led by God in his leadership of the nation and the surrounding nations. God ruled through a king who freely chose to submit his life to God out of love. So through David's rule, God influenced the known world. And by the end of David's reign, there was peace from all of the enemies of Israel because of God's blessing on David's life, because David served the Lord that way. And this is really a picture of how God, I believe, how God wants to influence our world today. Okay? I don't believe that God wants to set up a dictatorial theocracy where the nation is led by a church leader, per se. <gasps> really? <laughs> Listen, hear me out. I believe that God wants a voluntary theocracy. Not a, not a you must do this or you die. That's, that's some other nations that are led that way. God wants a voluntary theocracy where there is a submission of our will to the Lord. There's a submission of our ways to God's ways. Right? Okay? And I believe that God wants political leaders who voluntarily submit their lives who voluntarily submit their will, their political decisions to him and his will and his word. 
And as they do this, God will anoint them to lead just as he anointed David to lead. Okay? The leaders of the church, I believe, are there to preach the word of God uncompromisingly and to preach and, and uh, be a voice for the word of God about topics. And this is how, you know, um, the, the, um, the Congress and the Senate used to be run in the United States where preachers would actually come in and preach from the word of God about topics. And then governmental decision makers would take, would take that and they would go into debate and they would talk and they would fle uh, flesh that out. And so, the, the, and that's how the word of God, it wasn't the preachers setting the, you know, the agenda. It was, it was the preachers saying, this is what the word of God says. And it's our responsibility to submit to the word of God. Right? And I believe that that's how that voluntary, the, voluntary theocracy is the way that the Lord desires to run the nations of the world today. And it's the way that he desires to influence our lives. So in the same way that David made provision for the tabernacle and those who ministered to the Lord in his day, the government of our day also makes provision for the church to have special status in society through nonprofit entity, both 501c3 and non-501c3. Yeah? So there is a place, and, and though that you know, can be hijacked and, and all that thing, that's not how it was set up. It was set up so that there would be a special entity, that there was a recognition that, that churches are important in society because they preach the moral standard and the godly standard of life. What is helpful, what is healthy for family, for society, and for the world, Okay? So who knew you'd be getting a, a uh, teaching on the role of theology in government <laughs> while studying praise and worship, accounting God in praise and worship. But really, that's how God influenced the nation of Israel through David who had submitted his life and, and he had set up saying, hey, we are gonna worship the Lord as a nation and, and, and there is a place and a time to, to lay our lives down before the altar. Now, did David do everything right? No. no. No, he didn't do everything right. But he was a man who was able to come to repentance. He was a man who was able to come back into alignment with what God had decreed and determined. So this is what, um, you know, the, the, why, why, do, why do we say all this? Because praise and worship is actually very governmental. It's very governmental and it's powerful in the spirit realm. Okay? What does praise and worship do? By the way, you can follow along with me in your app if you have the church app, all right? There's actually places in there for you to fill in blanks and to take notes, okay? So if you don't have the church app, feel free to get it, but you can follow along uh, with me in this sermon and take notes as we talk about praise and worship and what it does in the spirit realm. Tell your neighbor, say, praise and worship is powerful. It is, it's, it's powerful. Not because I feel good when I do it, but because there is a spirit realm and the spirit realm hears the word of God and the spirit realm responds to what is decreed by people on the earth in worship to the Lord, okay? 
Psalms 22 verse 3 says this. It says, but you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. So God is holy. He is enthroned. His throne sits on the praises of Israel. Now we can say we are a part of Israel because we've been grafted in to the promises of God through the cross, through what Jesus has done on the cross. And so what I believe is I believe that what is revealed here is that praise, the praise and worship of God, as we do that, we are inviting his rule, we are inviting his reign, we are inviting his throne to be built among us. All right? Now, why is that important? Because it is inviting God to intervene in our lives. Because what happens at a throne? What happens in a throne room? Now, if we've been in church for a long time, we'll say worship. <laughs> but no, what, what happens in a literal throne room? When a king sits on a throne, what happens? Judgment. He, there's justice given. There's righteousness decreed. There's, there's, when, when things aren't right, there is a hearing of problems. There is a hearing of what is going on. And there is a decree of righteousness that comes from the king. And that's what starts to happen as we praise him and his throne is built in our midst. We are inviting his righteousness to intervene in our lives. So as we're inviting him to intervene in our lives, a friend told me this, that uh, when he, he's traveling and he crosses borders, um, and there's many times, you know, in different nations, there's problems crossing borders, not because you didn't have all your paperwork in a row, uh, but because they want to get a bribe sometimes, or they don't have all of their paperwork in order, all right? And so a friend of mine, you know, he says, you know, when I give my papers and they start to come back with like excuses and what, what, you know, this, these different things that they, they want to, uh, you know, kind of throw at you and throw curveballs at you and try and get to pay a bribe and all that, he said, I just start praising as they're, going, as they're walking back with my passports and my papers, I just start praising God like, God, you reign in this place. Your glory is in this place. In Jesus' name, this office, because I'm here, God, and I'm worshiping you, this office is now coming into alignment with the righteousness of God. Lord, we praise you in this place. Come and manifest your heart in this place. In Jesus' name. And he starts praying and worshiping just under his breath. Nobody knows he's doing it. You know, and, and uh, just he starts to, to praise God and proclaim his rule in what's happening there, because we want God's righteousness in that moment. That's what, I, that's what I was doing when I was in Zimbabwe, and I like casually kind of walked out in the, in the street in Harare, took my phone up, and took a picture down the street, and immediately two police officers came and arrested me and said, do you have a license to be a journalist here in Zimbabwe? Because we don't like American journalists, and you took a picture, and so now we are arresting you. Give us your phone. Give us your passport. And we are going to take you into the police barracks. They just wanted a bribe. But like, we're, we're going to take you there. And, and, and now you're going to be arrested because you, unless you can produce a license for being a journalist. I didn't have a license for being, I was just taking a picture. Right? Like, right? And so as we're walking, <laughs> because they didn't have a car, but like as we're walking, yeah, 
as we're walking, I'm just starting to praise the Lord. Like, oh God, Lord, I lift you up in this place. God, I thank you, Lord, that the governments are in your hand. In Jesus' name, the, the rulers are in your hand. They will decree and declare according to your will, according to your word. In Jesus' name, God, I thank you, Lord, that you can make a way where there seems to be no way in Jesus' name. And then as I was praying and singing in my heart, I start preaching. <laughs> I'm like, I have now got a captive audience and you have my passport. So I'm going wherever you are going. And so I just started preaching. I was like, you know, so do you know the gospel? Do you know, like, I'm here. That's what I'm doing here in Zimbabwe. I'm here to preach the gospel. And so, like, have you, oh, yeah, we've heard the gospel many times. Well, have you heard about lordship, where everything you do is submitted to the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, like, so if you're arresting, I didn't go that far, but, like, my implication was, like, if you're arresting one of his messengers, you know, you got something to deal with here between you and God. Did you pray about arresting a pastor? I mean, just come on, right? So, so like, anyway, like that's what I was, I was praising the Lord. Like God, if, Lord, if you don't come through now, like uh, prisons in Zimbabwe are not good places to be in. Let me tell you. All right. So, um, and after a while we turned a bunch of corners and the, and the police officers, officers said, look, you know, we understand that you are not a journalist. And they handed me my phone back. I did not have to pay a bribe. Praise God. And they let us go. Me and my friend they let us go. Amen? All right. Woo. So, but that's an example of, of how like, Lord, we need your order. We need your righteousness to come into our situation now, into our home now. There's been many times where uh, Shri and I have sat with a guitar or just in praise and worship in our house because we needed some things sorted out. We needed some thing. We needed the order of the Lord to come in and, and clear up some messiness or some things that were going on. We were like, God, we want to invite your throne, your rule, and your righteousness in this place. And so that's what we would do. Psalms 89, verse 14 to 16 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Okay, so if righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne, when we, when we are praising him and exalting him and, and submitting our lives to his will in our life, his throne is built. Guess what starts to happen? Righteousness and justice begins to be decreed from God and it's released in the spirit realm. That's what I believe, all right? You might not believe it. You don't have to. I've seen it work. Verse 15, blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name, they rejoice all day long. And in your righteousness, they are exalted. See, when we live with God's throne in our midst, we live surrounded by righteousness and justice. And what does that mean? That means that like the first people to have to come into alignment with righteousness and justice is us. Because it confronts you on a daily basis. The Holy Spirit's like, ah, that wasn't right. Up, oh, back up. Would you like a do-over? My wife has asked me that many times. Would you like a do-over? Right? The Holy Spirit through my wife has asked me many times, would you like a do-over? <laughs> 
right? And that's, that's just like, you know, there, there's this place because righteousness and justice is not just your will that gets done. No, 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 no. It's God's will that gets done. And so in, in inviting the righteousness and the justice of God into your life, there's also this place where you're the first person that it deals with, Right? Okay, so that's when we live surrounded by his throne, surrounded by his righteousness and justice, when we live before his face, we get to live in the light of his countenance, where we're not reactive to, to what's around us in the world. We're filled with the light of his countenance, where we get to be the thermostat instead of the thermometer. We get to set the tone, the spiritual environment, rather than just respond and come into alignment with whatever's happening around us. No, we get to set it, amen? All right, so we are impacted by both his mercy and his truth. His mercy is not without truth. Listen to this, his, his mercy and truth go before his face. There, there's many times what the world today, uh, and even sometimes in preaching, like we preach really strong on mercy, but not really strong on truth. Mercy is never without truth. Truth comes and says, I am a sinner. I need God's grace, right? And when there's a recognition of that truth, mercy comes and says, you are, you're saved by the grace of God through what Jesus has done for you, not through what you do for yourself, right? So mercy is not without truth. It's both together, and so that's, that's, that's the, the place where even, you know, when we don't, that's the power of confession of sin. Many times people just want to cover over sin in their life and walk away and say, oh, like God's so merciful. And, and yeah, well, he might not send you to hell because of that. But that, that doesn't actually undo the effects of sin in your own life. That's where confession says, hey, I'm coming into light. I'm coming into the truth. This is the reality of what's going on in my life. And then mercy can come. Right? It's not a denial of truth. And that's what Jesus told the woman at the well, that, that uh, when she was asking, where, where do we worship? Do we worship here? Do we worship in Jerusalem? And, and what did Jesus say? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the place of mercy and truth kissing, coming together. It cuts both ways, okay? So we cannot expect God's righteousness and his justice to intervene in our lives without first being in submission and alignment to it ourselves. It impacts us first. So we can know the joyful sound and we can spend our days rejoicing in God. His righteousness causes us to be lifted up. It's his righteousness that causes us to be lifted up, this scripture says. So as we praise God, it invites him to bring his throne, his righteousness and his justice into our current life situation. That's, that's why uh, like, uh, guys like Sean Foyt or different people who would go on missions like worship as missions, right? Where they'll go into like war-torn areas or where things aren't right just to worship the Lord. Number one, because you're declaring into the spirit realm what, uh, who God is and his power and his might, his righteousness and his justice. That's why it is effective, right? That's what, and we'll see some scriptures here about that. 
So those who worship God must worship him in the spirit of truth. We're not worshiping God. Uh, we're, we're not just worshiping God in spirit, but also in truth, the reality of our lives as we serve him fully in righteousness. So what is worship? Let's look at some Hebrew words here uh, this morning. Worship is translated the Hebrew word shaka. Anyone ever hear that when somebody's praying in tongues? Shaka. Yeah, anyway. All right. Uh, it's a verb, and it means to bow down, to prostrate oneself, to crouch, to fall down, to humbly beseech, to do reverence, to worship. Okay? The Greek word, uh, most often translated as worship, has the, sa- the same meaning, very, very similar, and it's uh, proskuneo, proskuneo, yes. To worship, to, do, uh, to show respect, fall or prostrate oneself, literally to kiss towards someone or to kiss the hand as a token of homage, paying homage. Okay, it's the natural response when people start to encounter God is to fall down on their knees, to come into a place of saying, God, you're holy. I'm gonna come in, in a place of worship. This is why many times you see people doing that. It's not because you know they know, maybe they know, but many times that's just the natural response in the presence of the Lord is to come and fall on your knees or come and lay prostrate before God. God, I'm gonna get on the carpet before you. So it's not just an old covenant practice or an Eastern practice. It belongs in our worship today. Tell your neighbor, say, it belongs in our worship today. It is. It's a part of our worship today. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 11 says, Therefore God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. That's what it is. That's that worship. Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, let's look at the word praise. The word praise in English, it means to set a value to, like appraisal. Anyone ever sell a house and you got your house appraised or you wanted to buy a house and you needed to get it appraised so you could get a loan? That's that's where the word praise comes from and it means in English to to set a value to. And that's really what we're doing when we praise God is we're describing the value of who he is. We're proclaiming his value, right? It's not that it changes. It's that sometimes we need reminded and the spiritual environment around our lives needs reminded who we serve, okay? In French, it means uh, to prize. In Latin, it comes from the word uh, pretium, which means a price, so when we're praising God, we see that we are declaring his value to us and to others and to the spirit world, spiritual world. Um, there's a scripture in the New Testament that says that it is uh, the role of the church to uh, proclaim God's manifold wisdom to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. That's part of who we are as a church. We are declaring God's manifold wisdom to principalities and powers. Let's go through the seven Hebrew words. We have the one word praise, and there's seven Hebrew words that have been translated uh, as praise, okay? And these words are a description of why we dance, <laughs> why, we, why we clap, why we sing, why we play instruments, okay? The first word is halal. Halal, does that sound familiar when we say praise the Lord? Hallelujah, yeah? It's hallelujah. Praise the 
Lord, Yahweh, Yah. Hallelujah. All right. Do you know what halal means? Halal means this. Halal is the primary Hebrew word for praise, root word for praise, and it, it comes, it, it means this. It means to be clear, to shine, to boast, to show, to rant, and to rave, <laughs> to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. Yeah! Woo! That's halal. That's the Hebrew word for praise. Okay? So when we hear Elevation Worship singing in Mike Get Loud, they're just halaling. Yeah? All right? So don't get all religious and be like, oh, you need to be quiet in church. No, no, no. We have biblical precedent to being really loud. Okay? All right? Because every place where it says praise the Lord or hallelujah in the Psalms, it's actually a command. It's not a suggestion. It's actually a command that says, be filled with ranting and raving about the glory of God. That's the word halal, okay? The next word that's translated as praise is yada. You, yeah, if you remember, if you remember, what's, what's that, that movie, hun? Uh, yada, 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 da, 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 da. If I, the fiddler on the roof, yes. Yeah, that's yada. Like he's going yada, 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 right? That's actually yada. It means to lift the hands, to extend the hands, or to throw the hands up. Therefore, worship in ex, in ex, by extension of the hands is yada. The opposite of that, by the way, is to bemoan or to wring the hands. It's to say, God, you are worthy. It's, it's the, the, when, when the children of Israel would come and they would do the, the daily offering to the Lord, they would take the wheat offering, they would lift it up to the Lord. That's the picture of yadaing the Lord, praising God. So, is it any wonder why people just start to naturally lift their hands in worship? Well, you can say, well, that was something that was taught in, in charismatic churches, which we are. But, you know, like, you know, people see people do. Well, it's you dying. There's, there's biblical precedent for lifting the hands in worship. It's not something that somebody's making, making up. It's right there. That's what it means to praise the Lord, to yada the Lord. The next one is toda. Toda, okay? It comes from the same principle root word as yada, but it means more specifically, it means the extension of hand in adoration. That's what the Hebrew word toda means. It means out of adoration, extending the hand. By way of application, um, it's, it's thanking God, even thanking God for things not yet received. So Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, for even what we have not yet received. The next Hebrew word is shabak. Shabak means to shout, to address with a loud tone, to command, and to triumph. This wasn't a very quiet group of people when they were praising God. To address with a loud tone, Shabbat. The next word is Barak. 
Not Barack Obama, Barack. And it means to kneel down and to bless God as an act of adoration. It means to kneel down, to bend the knee, to kneel down. Another Hebrew word is zimar, also translated as praise. And it means literally to pluck the strings. To pluck the strings, all right? To pluck the strings of an instrument, to sing and to praise a musical word which largely involves the joyful expression of music with musical instruments. That's zemar. That's right there, biblical precedent for what we do on a Sunday morning, right? The next, the last one here is tehillah. Tehillah, not tequila, tehillah, all right? Tehillah is derived from the word of halal, and it means the singing of halals. So where halal can just be like, yeah, woo, like you won the Super Bowl, or your team won the Super Bowl. Uh, um, uh, Tehillah means the singing of halals, the singing of celebratory music and praise and worship to God. That's, that's, what, um, that's what is happening in the tabernacle of David, right? This is amen. This is yes. Yeah. Okay. Psalms 149 verse 1 says this. It says, Hallelujah. Your translation may say, praise the Lord. It's the same thing. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Okay? And we see that word praise is halal. And that's actually a command. Sorry, just pause with me for a second here. It's actually a command. So when David would say hallelujah, he was saying, listen, I don't care how you feel. God is worthy. I don't care what you come with, the baggage you come with. It is time to praise the Lord. In fact, it is so strong, it, it implies you must praise God. So when David stood up and he was like, hallelujah, there was a command saying you must praise God because he is worthy. And you know, the, the, many times in my life and in our life, we have seen that like, now I know that none of you would ever feel this way. <clears throat> That when you like come into a time of praise and worship, none of you would ever feel like, I just don't feel like it today, right? Like, I got so much stuff going on. There's, you know, it's awkward, whatever. Like, why are they making us sing this song? Like, let's dance. I don't want to dance, you know, like, okay. Something happens when you make the choice, when you make the intentional choice to say, nope, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I don't feel like it. I don't even want to do it. <laughs> but I'm going to choose to praise God. When you do that, something starts to break off your life. Heaviness starts to break off your life. And I've seen this time and time and time again. And this isn't like, this isn't like the... Um, Oh, God, I'm going to, like, you know, go into this place of, like, oh, you know, like, we, we love soft worship. This is, like, no, God, I choose to praise you. Yes, God, I'm going to choose to dance even if I don't want, feel like dancing or and I don't want to dance. I'm going to choose to do it anyway because you are worthy. You know, the Holy Spirit hop. <laughs> there's, there's certain people that make fun of us. Anyway, that's okay. You know, there, there, there's... But I choose to praise you 
anyway, regardless, and all of a sudden things start to shift, whether it's your perspective, you know, my, I've experienced my perspective shifting, but I've also experienced supernatural intervention in our life in moments where it's like, no, this wasn't just my perspective. This wasn't just my heart where I walked out of the praise, praise and worship service and felt a lot different, felt a lot lighter. Like, praise God for those things. But there's also the literal release of heaven's resources into your life and into the scenarios and the situations of your life as you decide to get out of yourself, out of what you're used to sitting in, and praise God. And it shifts things. It shifts the atmosphere, it shifts the spiritual environment around your life. Okay? Psalms 149, sorry. Okay, five minutes, here we go. It commands us to praise the Lord in the assembly of the saints. So, here we are. If it's a command, and when it says hallelujah in the assembly of the saints, or praise the Lord in the assembly of the saints, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. So, that we see that, praise the Lord, halal the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his tehillah, his praise in the assembly of the godly. That's why we do what we do on a Sunday morning. That's why we come in and we sing praises to God. It's very biblical. Tell your neighbor, say it's very biblical. Let Israel be glad in his maker. So what that means, though, is when we come together, we should praise God. When we come together, we should have a time of, of declaring his praise, who he is in our midst. It doesn't mean you have to always be musical. I mean, if you're going to Tehillah, you have to. But like just to halal the Lord and, and proclaim his glory, proclaim his authority, proclaim his preeminence over our situation, that's how we should be starting our prayer meetings. Don't come in with your burdens first. Oh. We're, God doesn't intervene because we have, a, have like a sob story to him. God intervenes because we praise his name and because we invite who he is to be active in our midst. And guess what? Then we bring our requests. Then we bring, you know, we cast our cares on him because he cares for us. Yes, 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 and amen. But don't, don't undersize him. That's how, when we come together, when we gather together, we should be declaring who he is. We should be declaring, declaring his righteousness, his glory, who he is, not what we think, what he is in our lives, who he is, amen? Okay, let's move on. So, Verse three, let them praise, halal, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. Verse four, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people and he adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Amen, if you're sitting on your bed watching at home. <laughs> All right. Let the high praises of God, that word, those high praises, let the high praises of God be in their throats and a two-edged sword in their hands. That's what starts to happen is, is as we praise God, there is um, a power that is released 
that we get to proclaim his word and it actually brings judgment to principalities and to powers and rulers and heavenly places that are out of alignment with his will. As we praise, judgment is released. Okay, let the high praises of God, we're gonna talk about that uh, next week. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and a two-edged sword in their hands to execute the vengeance on the nations and the punishments on the peoples to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute on them the written judgment. This honor for, is for all his godly ones. Somebody say all. Not just for apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, leaders, bishops, archbishops, deacons, for all. This is the honor for everybody. Is as we praise him, authority is released in the heavens. Okay, so we're going to look at this uh, more next week, but in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20, verse 19, it says, then the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of, of Korites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with voices loud and high. Loud and high. That is a picture of halal praise. Okay? It might get loud. It might get loud. So praise and worship is not just an expression of our soul to God. It is a declaration of who God is and what he has done and what he will do. It's a declaration of that into the spirit realm. It is not magnifying our emotions to God. That's why I don't like songs that magnify my emotions to God. Like, oh, Lord, I'm just unworthy. I just feel so down. Well, of course you're unworthy. He's holy. Like, what about, why don't we sing about who he is instead of about who we are, right? I'm not here to praise myself. Goodness gracious. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> it's magnifying God in our circumstances. We can praise God over our governments. We can praise God over our regions. We can praise God over our homes, over our marriages, over our families, over our workplaces, over our schools. We get to praise God. And you know what? We don't have to know all the answers because they're not, we're not asking the spirit realm to come into alignment with our idea of righteousness. We're, we're declaring God's praises to come in, into alignment with God's idea of righteousness. So we don't have to have all of our opinions ironed out. All right. <laughs> so we are to be a people of praise. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 to 20. Let's land this plane this morning. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So this is the verse you quote to somebody who tells you that praise and worship and music and all of that, that's just all old covenant stuff. This right here, Ephesians chapter five. What are we supposed to do to one another? We're supposed to sing hymns, right? We're supposed to sing psalms. And then I love this part. It says sing spiritual songs. Verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God our Father. Psalms there is the psalmo. It's a set piece of music. It's not literally talking about like the psalms here in the book of psalms, though that is a psalm. It just means a set piece of music. So when we sing a song that's already written up here on a Sunday morning, be exalted, Lord, in the heavens as your glory fills the earth, that's an already set piece of music. That's a psalm, all right? 
A hymn is a religious ode. It's a sacred song. It might have more historical value. It might have, you know, that, that's a hymn. That's why we call them hymns, right? right? There, there's this place of sacredness of the, of the song. And then there is spiritual songs. Pneumaticus means non-carnal, supernatural, regenerative, regenerative, uh, religious and spiritual. These are songs, literally, this is what it means, songs of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're, we're called to as believers to be singing over one another, to be encouraging each other with songs of the Holy Spirit, okay? So this is where spontaneous songs come in. This is where prophetic songs come in. Now, not every spontaneous song is prophetic, okay? <laughs> It's true, not every spontaneous song is prophetic, but many times spontaneous songs can become prophetic or can be prophetic as the Holy Spirit of God starts to inspire you to sing. Singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. As, fellow, as followers of Jesus, when we sing, we should be singing to the Lord with all of our hearts, engaging with all of our hearts to God. I'm so glad that the Bible says make a joyful noise. It doesn't mean that you have to sing on key right all the time, right? It, there's this place of like, I, it, because what is it? Is it, about, is it about your voice or is it about your heart? It's your heart, right? That's what God is looking at, amen. So as believers filled with the Holy Spirit, we're called to pray in tongues. We talked about that, encountering God in prayer a couple months ago. We're called to pray in tongues. But you, do you know that we're called to sing in tongues? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 13 to 15 says, Therefore, one speaks in a tongue and should pray that he may interpret. Verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? Well, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray also with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, meaning in tongues, but I will sing with my mind also, all right? One more scripture here. Jesus is the one who leads us in worship. Hebrews, New Testament scripture again, Hebrews chapter two, verse 11 to 12. It says, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So Jesus is the one who sanctifies and you and I are the ones who are being sanctified and we are one with him and he calls us brethren. And then he says, verse 12, saying, this is Jesus speaking. I, I'm going to insert Jesus there. I, Jesus, will declare your name, God, Heavenly Father, to my brethren. And in the midst of the assembly, I, Jesus, will sing praise to you, God. So literally, what is, what is he saying? He's saying that Jesus comes and he prophesies. He declares the Father's name to you and I. And then in the assembly of the saints, as we're gathered together, Jesus in you, in me, sings praise, declares praise, declares God's name back to the Father. So who is it that knows how to worship God best? It's Jesus. And that's why we love, that's why we even say, oh, that was such a, a spirit-led time of worship. 
So you're saying that God was leading you and worshiping himself. Yes, because he actually knows how to do it best. Right? Can we stand up together? Let's do something practical. We're going to try this here. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening today. We would like to invite you back to our services starting at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more great content from Newport Church, check out newportchurch.net or visit our YouTube channel. To get the right one, search for Newport Church in Elm, PA.